Welcome back to Darwin's Black Book. Tom here with a very small note to say how this is actually the second of two parts about frogs. Well, this is apparently what happens when we try and take on an entire order of animals in a single episode. We can't, and it spills into an entirely new one. Anyway, considering it's just me and you chatting here, I hope you're doing well, having a lovely Saturday. Um, considering Becca isn't here at the moment, I'm going to secretly shove in some cool frog facts to impress friends and family. Yes, I had to practice that. That was a tongue twister and a half. Um, anyway, <laughs> secretly gonna, gonna put some facts in here. Um, yeah, there's two really cool things I've learned since we actually recorded this episode. First one of which is the smallest frog in the world. It's called Pedifrin amuensis. Not only is it the smallest frog in the world at 7.7 millimetres, but it's also the smallest vertebrate in the world, something with a bony backbone. Um, you could fit three or four on a one-pence coin. Um, but why I find this really cool as an evolutionary biologist is the fact that you can fit everything you need for complex life, brain, whole digestive system, lungs, the whole bit is a bit small in frogs, uh, but everything you need for complex life is, is something smaller than your little fingernail. That is absolutely incredible. It's genuinely mind-boggling and why I think I love biology so much. Secondly, uh, this is quite an odd one, but I absolutely love it. So, in the first century CE, the famous naturalist Pliny the Elder described a reign of frogs near the city of Rome. Now, it also happened again in 2005 in Serbia. Turns out, uh, well, Pliny was saying how the causes are very mysterious. It isn't actually that mysterious at all. The cause turns out to be mis tornadoes. A tornado forms over a body of water, water spout in this case, usually in a high-pressure system after a thunderstorm. Now, a tornado is, very, is an area of low pressure, a tunnel of low pressure in this high-pressure zone, and naturally things, wind rushing to fill it, dragging things, light things, I don't know, sheep, clothes, cars, uh, into it with it, and sucking them up this area of low pressure into the clouds. Um, the winds can be up to 200 miles an hour. Well, considering we're talking about water spout, it's not going to be sheep. It's probably going to be anything in the top layer of the water column in the sea, and send them on a journey they probably won't forget for a while. So the tornado will travel uh, across a freshwater shallows where frogs live, or lived in this case, and then as soon as it hits these freshwater shallows and starts travelling along land, it starts to lose power. The whole weather system loses pressure and the winds get slower, the power of the suction uh, actually gets much lower as well. At this point, everything that has now got sucked up must come down and, yeah, all of its cargo is released, including the lightweight frogs if they travelled over a particular frog-heavy swamp. Sometimes it's a hundred frogs, sometimes it's tens of thousands of frogs, sometimes it's fish. In one case, quite recently, actually, it was a rain of tomatoes. Sounds odd, but apparently it does happen about once a decade somewhere around the world, so, uh, well, hey, watch out, you could be lucky. Anyways, I am actually waffling now, but, um, yeah, frog rain is actually a thing uh, caused by tornadoes. Anyway, so, yeah, last episode we were dealing with frog adaptations and becca's coolest frogs this time becca will finish off her list and i'll talk about the biggest threat to frogs and of course animal of the episode
It's a little shorter one this week, but I hope you enjoy uh, back to a full-length episode next week. And on with the show. Welcome to the podcast, where we clear up common misconceptions in biology and evolution. And learn that all the answers to evolution's mysteries are simple in the way that everything is astoundingly complicated. Welcome to Darwin's Black Book. Do you have any more favourite frogs? I do. I have poison dart frogs. Oh, heck yes. Again, I saw these for the first time in captivity. I, but not at a reptile shop. I saw these at the zoo, uh, a zoo near where I grew up called Nuki Zoo in the Rainforest House. They had, I don't know if it's still there, but they had a whole compartment just dedicated to poison dart frogs of all sorts of different colours. And kind of eight or nine year old Rebecca would just stand and stare at them. Mm. While my mum was like, come on, we need to get like, so <laughs> My favourites are the blue ones. <laughs> so the poison dart frogs are not, again, they're not one species. They're a whole family of frogs called the Dendrobatidae. And these are native to Central and South America. But they're only, most of them are only one inch long and five grams. So that's about a 10p coin in, in weight and length. So a little experiment. If you have a 10p near you or your purse near you, you get it right now and just put it in the palm of your hand and imagine you're holding a poison dart frog while I finish. That's incredible. Um, so they can come in yellow, orange, green, red, blues, and they're all bright colours. And this is called a posmatism. And this is basically sending a message out to predators saying, you don't want to eat me, I'm toxic, or I'm spiky, or I'm aggressive. It doesn't actually mean that you are any of these things, but that's the message you're giving out. Mm. Um, but in terms of poison dart frogs, this is honest advertising. Um, for example, the golden poison dart frog has enough poison to kill 20,000 mice in a single tiny frog, um, or 10 grown men. Whoa. Remember how tiny like that 10p you've got in your hand? 10 men, that could kill. And again, the poison comes through their skin, um, so it can paralyse or kill predators. It's a safety thing, it's not an attack thing. Interestingly, they don't actually generate the poison themselves. Um, it comes from uh, the food they eat. It's not synthesised in their bodies. They don't have the mechanisms for it. That's interesting. Um, so That's they eat beetles that are toxic. And the beetles eat plants that are toxic, mm -hmm. so it just kind of gets passed. Um, and that's really energetically efficient. It's a really kind of evolutionary, evolutionarily adaptive way to do it, because you don't have to waste the energy producing the, the toxins yourself. You can just get them from your food. That's fantastic. Um, but they'll eat any kind of small insect, to be honest. The, the toxic beetle is just one of them. Um, and once again, they are a threatened species. Um, this time as a collection for pet trade because people like them because they look stunning yeah but also pretty. again yeah habitat destruction and chytrid so chytrid's oh. come up twice now i think it's time we um spoke about that let's talk about the chytrid fungus please tom Chytrid fungus, chytrid fungus uh, is a disease. The long form name is amphibian chytridiomycosis. Uh, and this is specifically just the disease they get caused by the fungus uh, Batrachochytridium uh, dendrobatidis. Oh boy. That's a pretty good pronunciation. Uh, thank you very much. I'm going to name it BD. So this is a fungus which infects the skin of amphibians. It is the first known fungus, actually, that was found to infect vertebrates, full stop. 
Um, it was described in 1999, which is interesting because it had in fact been, well, its effects had been known since probably the 50s and it's been oh, and they just didn't know what was causing it kicking around since the Oof. 30s and probably effects have been seen since the 1890s what it is so a tiny zoo spore which is basically like a piece of pollen that you'd see in a plant in this case it is a the spore of of this uh this fungus zoo spore because it swims on its own through moisture through water and it's really, really, really small, really tiny. It will touch an amphibian, uh, frog or salamander, primarily the frogs, though. And it will cause a cyst or well, insist on the surface of the skin itself. And then it will penetrate a skin cell. Bearing in mind, this is one spore. It will penetrate that skin cell. It will mm. grow into a little node in that skin cell and it will release maybe 40 to 100 zoo spores over the course of four to five days. If there are other frogs in the vicinity, those spores will probably end up finding them. At this point, the skin degrades. Okay. So you've got, but and that very much one spore will cause one in, in cysting of of the skin. Uh, so if you've got several, basically it spreads across the skin. The skin starts to degrade. As previously mentioned, frogs' lungs aren't good enough to breathe on their own. So oh no. they have those three methods of um, breathing purely because the lungs aren't good enough the buccal cavity isn't good enough in its own they use that the skin it is their primary way of getting oxygen so as the skin degrades gas exchange can't take place effectively because everything's being blocked electrolyte balance is affected because they're not absorbing water and they're not absorbing the stuff they need to they're struggling to respire they're struggling to eat and unfortunately there is no known cure oh no and it's caused probably from Xenopus lavis, it, or the co uh, common clawed African frog from South South Africa. It is originally where we think it is spread from. So Xenopus are quite quite frequently used in um, labs, aren't they? Yes, for were... evo experiments. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything to do with it? It dates back further. Well, today in labs, when you're using an animal in the lab, uh, specifically a type specimen like Xenopus, um, when you're finished with them, they are destroyed. Uh, there's no beating around the bush. Oh, to they stop are any kind of outbreak. Exactly. Or... Because previously, people haven't been so good about that. In the 1930s, new technology was coming up um, for pregnancy testing, of all things, um, and this extended to the 1950s in its usage. They found that if you inject the urine of a pregnant woman into a live xenopus uh, frog, it ovulates. The hormones interact with this frog, and if the frog ovulates, then the woman is pregnant. It's the... Uh, it's the pregnancy test and not only that then the frog quickly gets it out of its system they leave it alone <laughs> for 30 days and then they can reuse it and there was no that's a very interesting way to have a pregnancy yeah, test. this was before the... Here you go, here's the, your but frog. this is the actually this is the basis for urine sample pregnancy tests the lateral flow test yep yeah, no that's way. where it all started. That's also the same technology that they use in um COVID-19 tests exactly absolutely and it all started with huh. the hormones and how they interacted with Xenopus lavis. And it was great. They could regenerate. It was fine. It didn't seem to have any harmful effects on them. And they were transported um, all the way from South Africa to um, uh, South America and USA and, and uh, Europe. And it was great. And you people were knowing if they were pregnant or not and could see how to prevent it if necessary. 
What do you do, though, when the frogs are of no use because suddenly you are getting other tests that you can use where you actually just have to add urine to a liquid and it can tell you by changing colour if you're pregnant. The frogs are no longer necessary. They're expensive to keep. They are tricky to keep. Also, they're frogs. Also, they're frogs. <laughs> and you'll probably have a lab. Uh, well, you don't... Okay, hang on. Because <laughs> I read this was like, wait, we're weighing on frogs now? Uh, you, you inject the urine into the frog in small quantities, so... Oh, so you, you would wee into kind of like a sample pot and then they transfer that. I could just picture going to like a pharmacy counter saying like, I need a pregnancy test um, and they're like, here's a Xenopus. And you just take it home and take it to the bathroom with your, your partner and you're like, it's time. I just, just like, okay, don't watch this bit. Is that going to wee on the frog? Uh, <laughs> oh, that's but no, they have to, they, they inject it, then they see if it ovulates or not. That's, that's okay. the... Uh, why actually happens but again as technology advanced even further the frogs became obsolete so they released them all okay not back in south africa where they got them from but outside just wherever they were literally in the back garden. A, an american lab literally opened the back door and and to the local swamp and i'm not even kidding they just let all these frogs go expecting them to be eaten pretty quickly oh i see mm, but they didn't and as soon as they came into contact with water, <laughs> they started releasing zoospores because Xenopus lavis is a naive carrier of the chytrid disease. Because so they carry it, but they have no symptoms. They have no symptoms. Oh, no. And they don't die because of it. Uh, they're carrying the uh, Batrachochytrium dendrobatidis in their skin, and then it just spreads. And it spreads very, very quickly to all of the local species which don't have any defences against it. And it was devastating. As in, so they've never seen this fungus before. Scientists oh, release a carrier, yep. an asymptomatic carrier, and then it just spreads to everything that have never yeah. had to build an immune defence to this before. In South America, in North America, in Europe, <sighs> in Asia, everywhere where this frog was transported, they're released. And... To date, 500 species of frog that we know of have been impacted. But this is a big but on this one. It's most likely more. It is most likely so much more. Yeah, we I'd have say no so. idea because the IUCN, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, is where they've got you know the red list of all the ex endangered animals, have announced 35 to 40 extinct amphibians since the year 1500. But 130 more have thought to have died out since 1980. What's because just years? the surveys of just the surveys aren't being done to find out because <laughs> no one really is putting the money there, which is devastating. I mean, they're just the ones we know of. So the stuff that we don't know of is probably so much more. Um, and 90 species, so 70% of the 130 are from BD, mm. are from this chytrid disease. Amount. It's a huge amount. And it's being spread in moist areas because if the zoospores can swim through water, they're being mm. spread in, in, in jungles and in humid locations. Um, Where frogs forests. mostly live. Exactly. And because they have this porous skin, the fungus can just, BD can just, just really easily uh, enter their porous skin, which is awful. And this brings up the Panamanian silent spring, which is something which is occurring more and more frequently, and also in Argentina, in, in South America. It, South America has been extremely hard hit. They have incredibly uh, moist forests, cloud forests, which they can, which just this disease can 
uh, this fungus can exist in the air, in the water droplets in the air, not even in through the water. So what, what's occurring is when springtime, when all the frogs start waking up out of hibernation again and they start to sing, <laughs> they haven't been. Areas and fields where farmers have once said like they couldn't even walk for frogs, and the noise was deafening through the night. You get different frogs in the daytime and the nighttime, and a few months later, new species are waking up and singing. Quiet. Wow. There is nothing singing anymore. And as of this, we're now seeing not oh no, the frogs are dying, but we're also seeing a trophic cascade. One thing is unbalanced, and the entire food chain is broken. Basically, it's really bad. And we shouldn't release animals where they shouldn't be released. And that wraps up what we have to tell you about frogs. Apart from? Apart from? Animal of the episode. Whoop whoop. Hell yeah. Of course we've chosen frogs. But first, the results from last time. Becca... It was between coyotes and the red cardinals. Yes, and these were um, species that were around in the locations where Dr. Joseph Graves was when he was doing various levels of his education. Yep, <laughs> that, we randomly, <laughs> that we managed to choose. So, yeah, we've, we've got the cardinal, red cardinal, which was, was a small bird, songbird, which I chose, and the coyote, which is what you chose. Yes. And I can tell you that it was a draw. Another draw, another draw, another draw. <laughs> which makes Becca's won one, I've won two, and a draw has come third, which means that our audience needs to get their act together <laughs> and start being audience. decisive about the others. Three draws in, um, in not that many episodes, given we only started this podcast in November. 50% of our votes have been draws. Today, we're going to talk about our favourite frogs and therefore which is the best frog in the world. Becca, what, have you, <laughs> what frog are you talking about? So I've already talked about at least three of my favourite frogs, um, but it's okay, I have another one. Woo! Um, this, this frog I has had a special place in my heart mm. for quite a while, because, that's, again, that's so cute. Um, it's called the Crucifix Toad, or the Holy Cross Frog, mm. or Notoden Benetii. Please, please, please Google the Holy Cross Frog, please. Yes. Oh, they're just a little bit of a thing. Oh, um, they're incredible. <laughs> so they're, they're round. Um, so they're kind of a yellowy, yellowy, greeny colour with kind of a cross out of black and red across their back, which gives them their name, crucifix mm. or holy cross. Um, and again, like the poison dart frog, they have really bright colours, an example of a posmatism. Um, but these guys aren't, are nowhere near as toxic as the poison dart frogs, nowhere near. It's, it's kind of a false message that they're giving out to predators Ooh, saying, don't eat me, I'm toxic and deadly. Terrifying. But they're not really that bad. It's also because they're so small, they're easily predated upon. So they're like shouting about how terrifying they are when they're not actually that terrifying. <laughs> so in terms of being so small, they're actually bigger than poison darts. Um, <laughs> they are uh, 4.5 centimetres to 6.5 centimetres. So if you've got your phone near you, it's kind of the short side of your smartphone um, or, or kind of the short side of a credit card if you've got one of those near okay. you instead. Um, and you can find them in Australia. Mm -hmm. Uh, the females, again, are slightly larger. Like you said, that's quite common in frogs. Um, and these are ground-dwelling burrowers. And while they are underground, they keep moist by creating a protective cocoon around themselves. And then when it rains, uh, it will trickle down into the burrow that they've made. And just before it resurfaces, it will eat the cocoon it's made um, for kind of a nutritional kickstart. Um, and then they use these kind of spade, spades they have on their feet, kind of the shape. 
that they are. Um, and they dig up about three metres to the surface. And then when it rains, they all come out. They just all emerge to breed and eat. Um, and they have an absolute party. And then they live for another six to eight weeks and then they die. Wow, that is incredible. Um, so you can find them around ponds as well. Um, that provides them with their favourite food, which is mosquito larvae, insects and tadpoles. Um, they're, they're not graves for me. Um, I mean, look at them. <laughs> yeah, just very round. They don't have they don't have webbed toes. They are plump little balls. So instead of swimming, their their favourite food is in the pond. So they stick their little toes in and they wiggle them, mm. and that attracts their um, their prey because they think, oh, there's something for me to eat over there. So they go over there and get eaten themselves. So that's my quick summary on the the crucifix toes or the holy cross frog. Um, I got most of my information on this um, from bushheritage.org.au. So if you want to learn more, head there and um, they'll sort you out. Amazing. So, okay, my I was going to do something called the mountain chicken. Which Wait, you didn't choose the mountain chicken? I didn't chicken? choose the mountain chicken. I didn't choose the mountain chicken. Oh, no. Right, so the mountain chicken, if you don't know the mountain chicken, isn't a chicken, it's a frog, unsurprisingly. Um, critically endangered, mountain-dwelling, terrestrial frog living in the Caribbean. But I wanted to one-up that, because although the mountain chicken is cool, uh, and they have some very cool underground features, which some no other frogs have, I wanted, I, I wanted to go with the loudest frog in the world. Uh, it's from the genus Eleutherodactylus, uh, which probably made up of about 20 species, but I went with uh, Eleutherodactylus cocci, co- cocci? It's cocci um, of Puerto Rico, also a few species around South America and Hawaii, where it's invasive. But hmm. they could reach densities of up to 20,000 per hectare. And uh, they're small. They're like 15 to 80 millimetres, which is the size of a penny. What? I will one-up you on your 10 pence coin. No, no, no. This thing is is a penny. Uh, um, a one penny. Now put a one penny in your hand. Now imagine this. this very small, very uh, a pale green. And yeah, they can reach densities of up 20,000 per hectare. Wait, that tiny is the loudest frog. Yeah. It's one of the smallest frogs and it's also one of the... <laughs> it is the loudest frog. The genus is also called rain frogs, which is slightly annoying because the Saharan frog I talked about earlier is also a rain frog, but an entirely different, unrelated species. Not related. Uh, um, Completely unrelated. People are not that creative when they're naming frogs, apparently. (laughs) Um, But they have, yeah, they have uh, their name, Eleutherodactylus, basically means free toad, as they have no webbing and they climb around in trees. Now... Uh, when they get up to their kind of the peak of of frog season, fifty one thousand species um, individuals per hectare, and can, they can consume three hundred thousand invertebrates in a night, which is seeing. But no, this isn't the interesting bit. I'll get to the interesting bit. Okay. The cockeye frog uh, is named after its call. The koi, with the C O, um, basically is a message from the male which is calling to another male in the area saying I am here please don't come near me I, I, this is my territory leave me alone and then the second part of their song the key the Q-U-I Sarah's belt uh, indicates to any females in the area how they are obviously the best mating choice as opposed to the other 20,000 frogs in the nearby Hector But if you stood one metre away from one frog, their maximum noise that they can make, 100 decibels, which is about the sound of a chainsaw. 
Oh my gosh. Coming from a one pence one coin. Frog. One frog. A single one pence a coin frog. A single one pence fro- coin frog. So imagine 20,000 of them. Cocky. Yeah. And I will play the sounds. And they are an inc- now imagine this, but like you know, turn your volume up to full and uh, imagine your ears bleeding. <laughs> Please don't do this. Um, Thank you. The av- they average actually at about seventy-five to eighty decibels, but when they really go for it, hundred decibels, chainsaw standard. Um, they sing from <laughs> they sing all night, from the moment the sun goes down to the moment the sun comes up, primarily between dusk and midnight. Um, and not great pets then in Puerto Rico where they live uh, they change house prices based on how many frogs based on how many frogs are in the surrounding area because <laughs> it's the frog numbers are, count, are taken into account when you're evaluating house to be sold and if there are a large quantity of frogs it will lower your house price because they are so loud <laughs> Uh, they should do that everywhere, like your frog density and the price goes up and down. I pay, I mean, I pay more for more frogs, but I mean, in this case, I'd like to know um, the frog density when I'm buying a house. Every night, seventy-five to eighty decibels, up to hundred decibels, blasting from the local forest. <laughs> Somehow, it's going to take some getting used to. Um, but yeah, there's not much to their size, so- uh, their size, uh, size to noise ratio, but it just makes them an incredible animal. It just makes them so good. <laughs> And that's my animal of the episode. That's a, that's a good one. So we've got the crucifix toad. And you've got my loudest frog in the world, um, the cocky frog. Make sure you look up both of them because um, I've chosen the crucifix toad a lot on what it looks like. <laughs> a lot on its um, cuteness factor. <laughs> yeah, so I'll pop that up on Twitter now. So you can log on to, to Twitter and then search us at Darwin Black Book or hashtag DBB find the poll and vote for your favourite and we'll announce that in a fortnight in our next episode you can find us on Spotify Podchaser Google Podcasts as well as many other podcast players thank you so much once again to the British Ecological Society for supporting the development of this podcast you can find them and join the society at britishecologicalsociety.org for the podcast and if you want more information you can find us at bit.ly forward slash Darwin's Black Book and for more info about me, tomland.co.uk. We also have a Q&A episode coming up at some point in the future. So if you have any questions about nature or life, we can try and offer life advice. I don't know. <laughs> Anything you like, um, it's on our website, which once again is bit.ly forward slash Darwin's Black Book to submit your questions. It's on the front page. Just scroll down and it's right you there. You can't miss it. And Send us whatever you want and we'll try and tackle it. It's going to be an interesting one. I can't wait. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening once again. And I will leave you on the quote. The frog by nature is both damp and cold. Her mouth is large. Her belly will hold much. She sits somewhat ascending. Loves to be croaking in gardens, although unpleasantly. <laughs> Not said by either of us. As John Bunyan. Thank you very much. And goodbye. Bye.